This podcast from Teacher is supported by MacKillop Seasons, whose Seasons for Life project supports schools with loss and grief following a suicide and other loss event. Hello and thanks for downloading this podcast from Teacher. I'm Jo Earp. The PISA 2022 international results have just been announced. The programme for International Student Assessment, to give it its full title, measures the knowledge and skills of 15-year-old students in reading, mathematical and scientific literacy. Rather than how well they've learned a particular piece of content or a part of the curriculum, it assesses their ability to apply their knowledge and skills to real-life problems and situations. Singapore once again topped the tables across the board, with its students performing significantly higher than their international counterparts across all three domains. PISA 2022, which was delayed by a year because of the pandemic, involved nearly 700,000 students from 81 OECD member and partner economies. Here in Australia, 13,347 students from 743 schools participated. Now, each cycle of PISA has a nominated major domain, the latest one being mathematics. In this special episode, I'm joined by Professor Jeff Masters, CEO of the Australian Council for Educational Research to talk about Australia's performance, what we could learn from top performer Singapore and some of the education reforms taking place in other parts of the world. At the beginning of our chat we talk about a graph showing proportions of high and low performers in Australia and Singapore in mathematical literacy. If you want to have that ready to look at you can find it in the podcast transcript at teachermagazine.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, Professor Jeff Masters, thanks for joining us again at Teacher. It's always great to have you here. It's a pleasure. Uh, so the results of the latest PISA assessment have just been released. As usual, there's a, there's a lot there for Australia to digest. Um, what can we learn from these latest PISA results? Well, I think there's both good news and bad news. Um, the good news is that after a long-term decline in Australia's performance at 15 years of age in reading, mathematical and scientific literacy. Um, over the last couple of cycles, we seem to have levelled out. Um, so we haven't seen a continuation of the decline that had occurred um, over the previous couple of decades. So that's good news. Um, at the same time, a number of other countries did see declines. Um, so what that means is that while in an absolute sense, Australia's performance remained the same, as it had been in, back in 2018, um, our standing in relation to other countries actually improved. They went down, we stayed where we were. So that's a piece of good news. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad news, I think, is that there's still a very large proportion of Australian 15-year-olds who are performing at worryingly low levels. Um, and you can see that in this graph. The main Um, assessment domain in 2022 was mathematical literacy. So this graph shows results in in mathematical literacy. Um, And what you can see um, in the lowest levels, levels one and two, um, is that about half, about 49% 
of Australian 15-year-olds are performing at those two lowest levels. Um, now, level three is what's called the National Proficient Standard. It's the level that we expect 15-year-olds to reach um, in their mathematical literacy. So about half of all Australian students, according to this PISA survey, are performing below the level that we've set as our national minimum standard um, for PISA. And more than that, you can see that 26% of students are performing at the very lowest level, level one. Um, just to give you an idea of what that means, um, you can see over on the right um, that students in level two typically would struggle with things like um, applying um, multiple calculations to solve a problem, um, dealing with fractions, percentages, decimals, proportional reasoning, sorts of things that most students would be expected to learn to some extent in primary schools. Um, and then at the lowest level, level one, these are students who really are likely to struggle in applying mathematics to everyday kinds of situations beyond school. Um, so things like reading information from a two-way table, um, reading information from charts and from graphs. Um, so you can see um, it, this graph shows that um, there's been a decline since 2003 um, in Australia's results. More students now are performing at these very low levels, one and two. Um, and the graph also shows the highest performing country in the world, Singapore, um, and the relatively low percentage of students performing at these low levels in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So there are worrying signs there, as you say, and, uh, and the, the graph shows that perfectly. And uh, if you're listening just to this audio uh, on the teacher podcast, I'll pop a, um, a chart into the full transcript of this, which is at teachermagazine.com. Um, this isn't just an isolated result, though, is it? Uh, it? It's not just PISA that's been sounding the alarm bell, basically. No, we've seen similar things through other assessment programs. For example, NAPLAN um, has shown us that there's been no improvement in numeracy levels um, at any of the year levels, three, five, seven and nine, um, over a period from 2008 to 2022. Um, so there's been no improvement there. Um, NAPLAN's a little different from PISA. NAPLAN assesses basic numeracy skills um, and literacy skills, of course. Um, PISA is a little different in that it is looking at students' abilities to use their reasoning skills and their understandings of mathematics um, to solve everyday kinds of problems. So they're a little different um, as assessment programs. They look at different things, um, but it is certainly the case that um, NAPLAN also shows um, that there has been no improvement in numeracy levels um, over the last 14 years. Mm -hmm. um, before we talk about the top performers then, I just want to briefly mention the, the pandemic. Obviously there's a lot of lockdowns here, particularly in Australia and in Victoria, that shift to remote teaching. Um, how, how much of an impact will that have had on the results? Will we kind of look back and think, oh, there's a little asterisk? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. It's a, it's a little hard to know, I think. Um, the assessment, the PISA assessment that was planned for 2021 was delayed until 2022 because of the pandemic. So. Um, the period we're looking at really is a four-year period now, 2018 to 2022. Um, as I said, what one can see in many countries is that there has been a decline over that period. And I'm sure that many of those countries will be quick to say that's the impact 
of the pandemic, and it may well be. Um, as I said, in Australia, we can't see the, the same kind of decline that many other countries um, have seen. Um, so it's, it's difficult to know. Um, what we can see is um, even in um, states like Victoria, where there were quite significant lockdowns, um, there's not a lot of evidence that that had a different kind of impact on student results. Um, so there's not a bigger decline in performance in Victoria. Um, in New South Wales, science literacy results actually went up between 2018 and, and 2022. So it's an interesting question you're asking. Um, I think there'll be a lot of interest um, in Australia and internationally in the 2025 results where we'll be able to look in a longer time frame um, at the potential impact that the pandemic had um, on student learning. Yeah, so time will, time will tell basically on that one. Uh, let's have a chat about the international performers then. Uh, as in previous PISA test cycles, Singapore again uh, leads mm. the way, uh, significantly outperforming all the other countries, mm. not just in maths but in reading mm. and science as mm. well. What can Australia learn from Singapore? Well, um, another very interesting question um, you're asking. Um, it's actually quite difficult to untangle the reasons for a country's performance. Um, and um, when we compare Singapore, which, as you say, um, performed at the top of the world in this um, 2022 cycle in reading, mathematical and scientific literacy, and has performed near the top of the world all along, um, it's, it's very hard to un untangle the reasons for that. Um, and it's hard to compare what's essentially a, a city, a city-state, Singapore, um, with a country the size of Australia. And, and there are cultural differences as mm -hmm. well. Um, uh, cultural differences perhaps that lead students to be more motivated, to make more effort and so on. Um, but having said that, there are some interesting differences between Singapore and Australia, I think. Um, and one of those interesting differences is that Singapore makes a really big effort to recognise and address students' different learning needs. Um, one way they do that is um, right from the beginning of school. Um, children who require more support with, say, English or mathematics um, are given extra support. They have specially trained teachers um, who provide additional support to children who may be slipping behind or, or struggling um, with their learning um, right from that very early point. Um, at the end of um, fourth grade, year four, um, students then move into one of two levels um, in areas again like English and mathematics in, in core areas of learning. Um, there's a foundational level and there's a standard level and the goal there is to teach at where students are up to in their learning, to recognise they're at different points. Um, at the end of primary school students are then streamed as they enter secondary school um, they're streamed into three different classes, or they have been historically, mm -hmm. um, and students in the top stream, of course, are taught the more demanding material, um, more demanding mathematics, if it's mathematics we're talking about. Um, students in the lowest stream are taught the least demanding material, um, but again, the objective there is to recognise that students are at different points in their learning and, and are ready for different kinds of challenges and have different kinds of learning needs. Um, in Australia, we know that um, streaming is not a solution. Streaming ends up um, locking students into streams. Um, it sets ceilings on how far some students can progress in their learning. 
um, it often labels students, um, so they become labelled with the stream um, that they end up in. Um, Singapore understands this too. Um, Singapore is in the process of moving away from separately streamed classes, and what it will do instead is have all students in the same class, um, but it will have three levels um, within the class at which students are working. Um, so again, the, the, the attempt is being made there um, to recognise that students are at different points in their learning and have different learning needs. And I think, as I say, Singapore does a pretty good job of that and there may be a lesson there that we could learn in Australia. We'll be back with more from Professor Jeff Masters after this quick message from our sponsor. You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by MacKillop Seasons, whose Seasons for Life project supports young people affected by suicide and other loss events throughout Australia. Free for Australian high schools and based on the strong evidence base of the Seasons for Growth, Change, Loss and Grief Education programs, the Seasons for Life project builds well-being, resilience, social and emotional coping skills and strengthens supportive relationships. Um, so can we talk about some of the other top performing countries then? Uh, your new book that's just come out, Building a World Class Learning System, Insights from Top Performing School Systems. Um, you looked at uh, five different uh, countries there. There's, there's British Columbia, which is um, uh, province in uh, Canada. Canada. Uh, there's Korea, uh, Finland, Estonia and... Hong Kong. Hong Kong, thank you. Um, so they've all undergone... What's interesting about those countries, they've all undergone a, sort of a transformational change in education. What are some of the things that, that we can learn from that? Um, I think there are many things we can probably learn from at least some of those jurisdictions that you mentioned. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting in my analysis was that they all seem to understand the importance of addressing the um, framework or the context within which schools work. I mean, things like the school curriculum, um, uh, assessment and reporting requirements, credentials, um, how teachers are prepared and, and developed and so on. Um, so they recognise that need um, and they understand that to have an impact on teaching and learning, you need to transform that structure, that framework within which teachers and schools work. Um, and they're all really focused on the goals of better preparing young people for their futures um, and ensuring that every young person is learning successfully. And they're using that strategy um, of reforming their curriculum and so on um, to do that. And when it comes to the curriculum, for example, um, they, they believe, um, as we do in Australia, um, that it will be important um, to move beyond curricula that are heavily content-based. I mean, content continues to be important. Facts and procedures are important. Um, but it's a question of getting the balance right. And so what they are increasingly focusing on is what they often call deeper learning, um, understanding of important concepts and principles um, in, in subjects um, rather than memorising and reproducing lots and lots of detail. Um, giving students the opportunity to apply those understandings, those deeper understandings, to transfer their knowledge to new contexts, um, developing skills in applying knowledge, skills like thinking skills, critical thinking, creative thinking, problem solving, um, working with others, collaborating, communicating with others. 
um, in that process. Um, so they're, they're broadening their understanding of what it is we value in schools, um, what the curriculum should be promoting. Um, they often refer to this as a more holistic, you know, paying attention to the, the whole person, um, um, including things like dispositions and personal attributes, things like resilience and persistence and a growth mindset, those sorts of things. Um, so that's, that's one way in which um, these jurisdictions and others um, are trying to reform, and often they would say transform, um, their learning system, the framework within which schools work, um, in an attempt to better prepare young people for their future. They're also working um, to achieve more flexible learning arrangements. And they, uh, this is true of most of them, uh, most of the five that you mentioned, um, they recognise that if every student is to have their needs met and to learn successfully, we need to move to more flexible arrangements. Um, for example, um, if a student needs more time to master something, we need to find a way to give them more time. Or if they're ready to move on to something more advanced, more challenging, we need to find ways to allow them to do that. Um, so they're looking at how they can introduce more flexibility. I'll give you an example. Um, Finland um, is doing this by defining a phase of schooling that runs over three or four years. Um, starts before school, so back kindergarten somewhere, um, and it continues into the first couple of years of school. Um, and what they're doing is instead of saying um, this child is in grade one so we have to teach them the grade one curriculum, they will recognise that across that three or four year range um, there are going to be children at many different points in their learning. There'll be some seven year olds who are still reading at the level of the average year five child mm -hmm. for example. Um, and so the intention of um, kind of moving away from um, you know, very structured year levels into a broader um, phase of schooling is to support teachers to identify where individuals are at in their learning and to do what they can to target their learning needs, um, recognising the, the variability that exists um, within that range. Um, other things that systems are doing are things like um, having the same teacher stay with the same class for multiple years, um, in some cases almost all the way through primary school. Um, and again, the reason for that is they believe that there are benefits in having a teacher get to know a child and the child's long-term growth or progress. Um, they believe that the teacher will be better able to target the child's needs if they've been monitoring the progress they're making over an extended period of time. And then there are other systems that are trying much more radical um, approaches, um, not within this group of five jurisdictions so much, but you know, if you look at places like Wales, um, what Wales is doing is it's saying um, we really need to break out of this um, heavily time-bound lockstep approach to learning. Um, and what they have done is to define a sequence of levels, stick with mathematics for a minute, um, a sequence of levels in mathematics with the intention that children will progress through those levels across multiple years of school. So they're not levels specific to a particular year of school, um, they're levels that apply across multiple years of school. 
and children move from, the intention is that students will move from level one to level two to level three. The point is that they um, are open to the possibility that students of the same age or in the same year of school um, could be at different levels in their mathematics. Um, and they understand that the important thing is to try to target um, the levels that individual students are at. Um, so um, th these are some of the ways that um, the, the attempts are being made to make the curriculum more flexible. Um, and as I've been saying, in many countries, including Australia, the curriculum is pretty um, rigid and structured and heavily time-bound. All students tend to be taught the same material at the same time for the same amount of time. Um, they're then assessed and graded on that body of content. And then they move in lockstep to the next body of content where the whole process is repeated. Um, and we know that the consequence of that kind of assembly line model of schooling um, is that some students fall behind um, and some students fall increasingly behind um, as the curriculum becomes in increasingly beyond their reach. So, um, yeah, the issue is um, people are thinking about flexibility um, and that has implications for assessment too. So assessment's not just the process of how well have you learnt this body of content that I've just taught, how much of it can you demonstrate, um, but where are you in your long-term progress? What point have you reached? What do you know? What do you understand? What can you do? Um, and what does that mean for the next steps in learning? And how can I use that information to monitor your long-term progress um, as a learner? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's an awful lot going on internationally and as you say in the book actually, all nations, not just the five that, that you've looked at, all nations are grappling with kind of those same mm -hmm. questions, aren't mm -hmm. they, about how we prepare students for life and uh, how we get them to meet their potential at school as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. The other point you were making about uh, curriculum there, yeah, we, we don't want a narrow curriculum, but then again, we also don't want, you know, the old mile-wide, inch-deep version either. We want that, that mastery learning. Um, so there's a lot to think about there in terms of Singapore, which we spoke about earlier, and those five systems that, that you've covered in your book. Um, how does that impact on how we think about Australia then? Yeah. Where do we go to from yeah. here in Australia? Yeah, very good question. Um, I mean, what we can see in Australia, as I said, is that we have about half of students by 15 years of age, according to these latest PISA results, about half of all students performing below the national proficient standard that we expect them to be at um, at 15 years of age. Um, so the question is, why is that the case and what can we do about it? Um, and there are various suggestions or theories um, here. Um, one suggestion is that maybe Australian students just don't try. Um, they're not motivated when they when they sit PISA, um, whereas students in other countries are motivated and do try. Um, and maybe Australian students could do better if they tried. Um, that may be true. It's very hard to test that hypothesis. Um, it may be true, um, but I would say um, if that's the case, that may itself be a symptom of a problem. It may be a symptom of the problem that um, we're not sufficiently engaging students in mathematics learning. We're not helping them to understand the, um, the meaning and the relevance um, of mathematics as well as we could be. Um, another um, suggestion that's sometimes made is that the problem is teachers and teaching, um, that maybe they're not using the right teaching methods. Maybe we need to find better teaching methods for them to use. Um, and again, I'm sure that's true of some teachers. Um, 
we could improve the quality of the teaching for some, I'm sure. But you know, when you look at what I was just saying in terms of the performance of Australian students, I find it hard to imagine that teachers are not capable of teaching things like fractions and percentages and decimals and reading a pie chart. Um, so I don't, I'm not convinced that that's the problem and I think it's too easy to slip into blaming teachers um, for, for the problem. Um, a third suggestion that's made is that maybe our curricula are not rigorous enough. Maybe we need to um, lift our standards put more challenging content into our curriculum, um, add more stuff to the curriculum. Um, and yes, that may be a possibility, but again, I don't see how adding material to the curriculum, adding higher level content um, will address this issue of the 50% of kids who are still not really mastering what they should have learned in primary school. <laughs> you know, if you you add more rigour to the secondary school curriculum, it's probably just going to mean they'll struggle even more um, with that content. So um, I'm not sure that any of those things is really the answer. The reality is that um, we have these students who um, have fallen behind, probably fallen increasingly behind, as I said earlier, as the curriculum has become further and further out of their reach. Um, as they've lacked the prerequisites for the curriculum that they're about to be taught. Um, and I think, personally, the answer lies in what I was talking about before, more flexibility um, in the curriculum, not saying everybody has to move at the same time to the next curriculum, whether you've mastered the content or not, because we can see um, graphically in the picture that I showed um, that that is leading many students to sink towards the bottom of the distribution. Um, they fall further behind. Um, what we need are strategies for identifying, firstly, um, and, and, and better understanding the points that individuals are at in their learning, um, and then good strategies to support teachers um, to address those needs. And again, if you look internationally, you can see that some of these jurisdictions do an unusually good job of um, identifying and addressing the needs of students who are beginning to slip behind in their learning. They have teachers whose job is to do that. Um, they, they have um, mechanisms of various kinds um, for identifying, diagnosing and, and addressing the needs of students so that they don't have large percentages of students who are slipping behind. So I think they're some of the challenges for us. We need, we need to think radically um, we can't keep doing what we're doing and expect things to improve. Um, they've levelled out, yes, um, but long term there's been a, a significant decline. Um, so we need to change, we need to transform what we're doing, we need to transform it in a way that is consistent with what we know about learning. And what we know about learning is that the way to maximise um, an individual's likelihood of learning successfully is to meet them where they are to address their current learning needs, to provide them with um, appropriate stretch challenges um, that are likely to lead to further growth or progress. Um, and I think, um, just to repeat what I've been saying, a, a, an issue for many of our students in Australia is that they're being taught things that they're not ready to learn, um, and other students perhaps are being taught things they already know. And they're the challenges that we need to address.
Uh, yes, absolutely. So as I say, there's, a, there's an awful lot to digest there from the results. Um, as always, then I'd encourage listeners to take a look at the full reports that have been released in Australia. There's a, there's a PISA in brief and a volume one, and then there's an international PISA um, set of reports as well. I'll put links to all of those in the transcript of this podcast again. You can just head over to teachermagazine.com to find that. Uh, for now, though, Professor Jeff Masters, thanks very much for sharing your expertise with teachers. You're very welcome. That's all for this episode, but we'll be speaking more with Professor Jeff Masters in the new year for a three-part mini-series exploring how five of the top-performing jurisdictions in PISA in recent years, that's British Columbia, Estonia, Finland, Korea and Hong Kong, are transforming their education systems, so stay tuned for that one. If you want to keep listening now, you can access 300 episodes in the Teacher Archives over at teachermagazine.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, though, please do leave a review on the podcast channel. It helps people like you to find the podcast and it's also great support for the team. So thanks for that. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher, supported by MacKillop Seasons, Seasons for Life, supporting schools and young people affected by suicide and other significant losses. Visit mackillopseasons.org.au.